morning, friends. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Lou. Good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. So we're going to jump right into it. Today we're going to be talking about the other three qualities out of the 35 qualities of a devotee, of a spiritual person, of a bhakta. As we started last time, we talked about the first three. Today we're going to be talking about quality number four, which is nirmama. Nirmama means, nir means none, not, no. Mama means I, mine, or I, or mineness. So that's the fourth quality. We're going to be talking about the fifth and sixth. Uh, for any questions, anything else, I'm hoping that you've been following all along, or you can always go back and look at our previous uh, sessions prior to this. So let's start with Nirmama. So Nirmama means freedom from or lack of I-ness, mindness. This is mine, possessiveness. Vedanta does not say do not have possessions. A lot of people misunderstand um, when they talk about Gita, Vedanta. They say, you know, yeah, you're going to tell me to give up everything and right. move up to the mountains <laughs> in uh, orange or saffron clothes. Vedanta doesn't say that. In fact, some of the most spiritual uh, and advanced people who are self-realized have been kings. Um, once they've accomplished a certain amount of wealth, and power and so on and they've turned to spirituality they've actually said there's no harm in being wealthy or having possessions but not allowing yourself to be possessed by those possessions very big difference right and if you think this is mine this is I this is belonging to me that possessiveness actually that attachment causes you problems so how does it cause you problems? So it causes you problems because number one, you have because you're possessive of that, you feel you're constantly afraid that something is going to cause you to lose that, right? Or mm. that it's going to be damaged, or that it will not continue to cater to your desires about it. Mm -hmm. Now apply that to anything that you feel close to, that you feel attached to: car, a house, mm -hmm. a bed, a TV cell phone, wife, child, whatever. You say, you know, something's going to happen that's going to cause me to lose it right? or it not cater to my desires or not function the way it's always been functioning, and you start to feel suffering, right? Actual yes. suffering. Yes. You have a brand-new Mercedes that you have. If you can afford to buy one and you buy a Mercedes and you're driving it, you take it out of the showroom, what happens? This is an example that Swami Parthasarthi gives. He says the minute you drive it out, your heart's beating already. You're excited on the one hand that you've got a brand new Mercedes, right. you love it, but your attachment, which has already begun, causes you to start worrying about every little thing with that Mercedes. You come out, there's a pothole, the car goes through it, you say, ah, oh, my God. You feel a pain in your heart to say, ah, I hope I didn't damage the rims, right. the shock absorbers, you know, and you pull the car aside, and you say, ah, oh, did it, anything get spoiled? And you don't enjoy the beauty of the car because you're so worried that something will happen to it and afraid of losing the object. You can take this analogy and take it to anything else that you feel attached to or feel that you are possessive about. On the other hand, assume that you go to a rental place that rents the same brand new Mercedes. You take it out of the rental car, you know it's fully insured, they say anything happens to it, you're covered, you don't have to worry about anything. Just pay us X many dollars for rental for 24 hours. You say, I'll drive it. 
you take it out of the same rental place, you hit the same pothole. Yep. What happens? You say, hmm, hmm. I hit the pothole. Yeah. Oh, beautiful Ooh. shock absorbers. I barely even felt it. Oh, that was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't see, feel it. That's the difference being between being attached to the object and treating it like a rental thing. Right. So if you go through life, I mean, the same, imagine you go to a hotel room. You have the same TV in the hotel room as you have at your home. Right. Big TV, you know, whatever. At home, you say, very careful, don't touch it, kids don't go near it, don't hurt it, whatever. Right. But here, your kids are jumping on the bed, you're jumping on the bed, you know. You say, oh, if the TV's not working, pick up the phone, call the hotel manager, say, you know, TV's not working. Right. You don't give me a different room, I'll go to a different room or watch the TV over there. You're not as concerned about something happening. If one could go through life without this attachment, fear of losing, fear that the object will not continue to cater to your desires, how much easier does life become? I think I may have given this example before that was taught to me, is that life is like a supermarket. And I know a lot of people in India are listening to these. <laughs> I don't remember how big the supermarkets are in India anymore. When I was there, they were not so big. But here now, these super mega yeah. supermarkets have what, 40 aisles or yeah, so? Bigger, yeah. And one aisle is dairy, one aisle is vegetables, one aisle is meats, one aisle is baked goods, one aisle is uh, kids' stuff, greeting cards, car stuff. Pets. Yeah. Pets yeah. and lawn care. The 40 aisles. If you say, I have no attachments, I have no kids, I have no... You don't have to go to the kids' aisles. You don't have to go through the greeting cards' aisles. You don't have to go. Right. You don't eat meat, so you don't go through. You say, I only have to go get vegetables and bread and come out, only two aisles. Life becomes so much simpler. So the less attachments you have, the less you have to cater to, um, life becomes that much simpler. So that's the fourth quality, mm -hmm. which is nirmama. <clears throat> and then let's talk about the next one which is a quality number five, which is nir ahankar. Nir, again, just like with nir, uh, nir mama, nir means not, not having. Ahankar is ego or pride. No ego, no sense of I-ness. A true devotee has no ego. If one is spiritual, completely um, self-realized, that person has no ego in terms of minus, I-ness, or I am superior. When you're attached to the self, you are detached from the I and me, mm -hmm. from your body and your mind. It is inversely proportionate. So that to the extent that you're attached to your real self, that much you're detached from your body and mind. So that's the law. 20% if you're attached to the self, to your Atman, 80% you're attached to the body and mind. If 80% you're attached to the self, only 20% attached to your body and mind. 100%, if you're self-realized, 100% attached to yourself, 0% mm -hmm. attached to the body and mind. That doesn't mean that you don't take care of your body. Right. Many people misunderstand that. The Gita says, treat your body like a temple. It is your chariot. It carries you, the real you. Aham Brahmasmi. Mm -hmm. I am Brahman. The body is carrying me around. Right. You have to take care of your body. Gita does not say neglect your body, starve your body. Gautam uh, Buddha, I was going to say Gautam Jain. Gautam Buddha 
when he first went into the forest to become self-realized, he said, okay, I don't want to be dependent on food. I'm going to starve myself. I don't want to be dependent on this. Yeah. He starved himself. He almost died. When he met some a guru, somebody that he talked to, he said, look, you're crazy if you do this. <laughs> he didn't say that. But <laughs> in so many words. In so many words. He yeah. said, look, taking care of the body in order to reach it towards the self is as important as anything else. You can't focus on spirituality, meditation, if your body is starving. Right. So you have to eat. You don't have to be a glutton. You don't have to say, I only want to eat this and I only want to eat that. But you have to eat enough for your body to be able to function. Otherwise, you're, you can't meditate. Right. So the analogy that was given, I don't know if this was at Gautam Buddha's time or subsequent, but the analogy, which is a good one, is that of a string, stringed instrument like a sitar or a, or a guitar, mm -hmm. where if you pull the string too tight, it breaks. Right. You can't make any music. If you leave the string too lax, it doesn't play music. It has to be just the right amount of tightness so that you can play. And that's the same kind of thing with taking care of your body. Mm -hmm. You don't want to indulge too much in its vicissitudes. You don't want to indulge too much in giving in to its desires for food or other stuff. Right. But on the other hand, you don't want to deny it completely. But it's about serving yourself as opposed to serving a self-image. Correct. It's about saying that this is my chariot, just like you would take your car in for servicing and taking care of it, making sure that the oil and the, uh, in the car and the air and the tires and the gas is adequate so that the car can function. You have to take care of your body because your body basically is your vehicle for carrying your Atman right. around. So Ankar is that sense of I, I-ness. And it is if you're attached to your body and mind more than you're attached, because some people just take care of only the body and mind. They don't care. They don't even know about the spirit. Um, Gautam Jain gave us an example of near his house where he lives. He says there's a guy that his cars, he spends 24, part of his 24 of hours of the day polishing his cars. Yes. Cars look gorgeous. He himself is completely out of shape. His body is flabby. Yeah. He's not shaven, not showered probably. Clothes look ugly, you know. But, but his cars, cars look great. Great. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you have to recognize that you have to take care of your body, but you really should spend the majority of your time looking inwards at your own self. So how does the ego manifest? When you're a bhakta, you're free from ego and no ankar. But your ego manifests in three ways. First, I am supreme. I am supreme, a feeling of superiority over others. I am better than you. Yes. I am better than him. I'm better than her. Second is, I alone exist. I alone exist. Everything is therefore there for me. Yes. Third way is, I am the doer. Anything that is done, I do it. I did it. And that in Sanskrit is called kartitya bhavana, meaning I am the doer. So I am supreme, I alone exist, I am the doer. That I am supreme is the feel feeling of superiority over others. I think in, in the 10th session we talked about how the fathers of American literature were so influenced by the Gita. Yes. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a poem called The Mountain and the Squirrel, in which the mountain says to the squirrel, you are a little prig. 
I don't know what prig means. But I don't either. You are little sound prig. good. You are nothing. Yeah. You are like a little peanut. Mm-hmm. The mountain says this. And uh, it's a long poem worth reading. And the squirrel tells the mountain, you are big. Talents differ. I may be small. All is well and wisely put. I cannot carry forests on my back like you do, but neither can you crack a nut. Yeah. So the mountain cannot crack a nut. The, mount, the squirrel cannot carry mount forests on its back. Right. What Emerson was trying to get across to us is each one of us has something that we offer to this world. Everybody has something different. So if somebody has a jigsaw puzzle, and you were to ask that somebody, what is the most important piece in that puzzle? He won't be able to answer right. until one piece is missing. Exactly. If you have 300-piece jigsaw puzzle, that one piece that is missing is the one that is the most important piece. Every one of us in life is like a musician in an orchestra. The orchestra cannot play if one musician in that entire orchestra is playing out of tune. Everybody else could be right on tune, but the one that is not right. in tune, you n- recognize right away. So nobody is superior and inferior. We all have a role to play. This would be very helpful to somebody who constantly feels they have a feeling of either an inferiority complex, where they say, I'm not as good as everybody else. Right. This is very, very important to those that say, I feel inferior, everybody's better than me. This is important to know because everybody has a role to play. Just right. like the squirrel said, I can break a nut, can you? We have to say, what can I do that nobody else can do? Each one of us has a role to play, everybody has does something right. right. So that feeling of, I am supreme, should be adjusted when you think of yourself to say, I am not supreme. There are others that do things that I cannot do. Um, Then I alone exist. What is this feeling that I alone exist? How does it manifest? There's an inbuilt, inbuilt expectation that I alone exist, meaning you should cater to me. If I'm driving on the road, not me, but a person, if he's in a traffic jam, You know how you drive with somebody and they're honking and they're yelling at everybody, get out of my way, this kind of thing. It's that person exhibits very clearly that his feeling is, I alone exist. What the heck are you doing on my road? This road should be for me. Get out of this. When you say, the weather, it's so hot, it's so hot, it's so hot, instead of recognizing that the weather is what it is, the feeling is, I'm not comfortable with this heat. Therefore, you're not catering to me. I am complaining. I alone exist is that. That's the feeling of ego. And the third is I am the doer. I am the doer, meaning whatever a person has done, instead of thinking, what is it that enabled me to do this? That person says, I am the doer. I did this. Look at me. I'm so great. Whatever big invention you can think of, whatever big software program that you can think of instead of beating one's chest and saying i did it you have to be humble about it and say well who taught me everything that i know who taught me to read right who taught me to write who taught me the basics who taught me about life who taught me all these things instead of saying i did it Mm -hmm. try to be more humble with that and if you can do that that is spirituality for you
And if you use a test to say, how much do I feel that I want to use this to say I, 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 if you say, if you try to be anonymous, whether you do a gift to somebody right. or you do charity or you do something good, if you try to be anonymous and don't put your name on anything so nobody knows, then you're trying your best to try to remove yourself from the I-ness about it right. without looking for praise. So that's quality number five. Quality number six is sukha and dukkha. Sukha means pleasure or happiness. Mm -hmm. Dukkha means pain or displeasure. So a devotee, a spiritual person, is balanced in pleasure and pain. He doesn't go up when things are good for him, and he doesn't bounce up and down and say happiness, and he doesn't get dejected and sad when things are not going well. Right. Pleasure and pain, what is it caused by? Not by hitting the lottery or doing something that, getting something good. Pleasure is caused by your own likes and dislikes, raga and dvesha. You develop selfish likes and dislikes very early on in life. And when you're faced with something that you like, you feel pleasure. When you're faced with something that you dislike or don't like, you, face, you cause displeasure. This is your creation because of your likes and your dislikes. It has nothing to do with the outside world. The mm -hmm. outside world functions the way it's going to function. The economy goes up, it has to come down. The weather gets hot, it gets cold. Your likes and dislikes cause your pleasure or displeasure. Right. If you can learn to adjust and recognize that everything is up and down and it, whatever goes up will come down, you start to be balanced in your happiness. If you analyze your likes and dislikes, you'll find yourself to be more balanced. You can test how much of a devotee you are or how spiritual you are by finding you are how balanced you are in the face of fluctuations in your life. If you find that you are up and down from a day-to-day -day basis yeah. or week-to-week, -week, you say, something is wrong with me. Not, it's my boss, it's my spouse, it's my children. Right. It's you. What is it that causes you to be this way? So if you constantly think about something bad that has happened, constantly looking into the past and saying, this bad thing happened to me, or in the future to say, I'm worried about what might happen, it's going to take away from your balance. So imagine that a cruel man beats a dog mm -hmm. and at the same time goes outside and finds you and beats you up or beats another man. Five years later, the same dog and the same man that got beaten meet up with that guy. The dog goes and bites him because he recognizes this as the man who bit him. Right. And the man goes and punches him in the face for having beaten <laughs> him five years ago. Yeah. What's the difference? The dog has not given that man another thought for five years. But when he saw him, he recognized him and went and bit him. Oh, interesting. Whereas the man, for five years, is saying, you know, that guy beat me up. I'm going to get my revenge next time I see him. Right. Five years. Wasted. So that balance in you do what you have to do, but without constantly obsessing about it. Um, so... Balance, if somebody were to ask you right now, how are you? And you say, I'm fine, I'm not agitated. But immediately thereafter, somebody criticizes you and say, yeah, that guy, you know, he's this, he's that, whatever he says negative about him, 
For the same person that said, I'm fine, just a minute ago, you're devastated because yes. this person said something bad about you. So you shouldn't be affected. Try not to be affected what, by what people are saying about you because that's not catering to what you think you are. Yeah. You're giving up control, too. By doing what? You're giving up control by allowing that what that person said to change your your outlook so much. If you don't look at it in terms of control, but to say, listen, I am me. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking to cater to his likes or dislikes. I have my own goal in life. I right. have my own spiritual path. That's what I'm focused on. I'm not focusing on what other people are doing. It makes it that much easier. Keep in mind what your goal is, which is to get closer to your own self and not allow the worry about what other people think about you to influence you. Balance also means lack of agitation. So you're peaceful internally, mentally, while you are doing what you ought to do. So last time I talked about the uh, analogy of myself when I was in martial arts, where the Japanese instructor said, do what you ought to do without insulting the person, hating the person. And here also, when you're peaceful internally, mentally, you can just imagine that you're a plaintiff in a lawsuit, if you are, and the person that you're suing is in court. You do what you have to do because you think that this person has wronged you. You've taken him to court. Right. You're leaving it up to the judge to decide what he wants to do. You don't hate the person. You do what you ought to do, go through the lawsuit, and then wait for the outcome after that. Um, so the more spiritually evolved you are, the less effect other people can have on you. You can measure your own l spiritual growth to the level of the effect upon you. And when you're self-realized, perfection is the effect where nothing has any effect on you. You don't really care what happens around you. You're only focused on your own internal self. Mm. So that's qualities four, five, and six. Next time we'll do the next three. Thank you so much. And hopefully you'll write some comments on the Facebook page. Thank you.